0: Welcome to the Rock Church Podcast. This is Amanda. We're so glad you're joining us today. We are a church family that exists to love God, love people, and do something about it. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit us at rockc3.com, or head over to your app store and search Rock C3 for our app. This is the first week of our new series called The Easter Door. This week, you'll hear from Pastor Mark Moore. Enjoy the message. here's what we've got going on today. I'm excited is because today we're, we're, we're launching a new series. Okay. Now the new series is called the Easter door. And for those of you who have been around uh, all year with us back through August and September, you've, you've recognized this door theme that we're doing. And this is the last theme, the last series inside of this overarching series. Uh, In September, we talked about the door and about the thing, uh, about who Jesus is. At Christmas, we talked about the Christmas door and the things that Jesus delivers at the door. And and now we're into this series called the Easter door, which is all about what Jesus has done and and what he offers. And so what we're going to do for the next six weeks is we're just going to look at the cross of Christ because it is through the cross that we are offered life and forgiveness and love and, and, and all of those kind of things. And I'm excited because today, um, a good friend, but more than just a good friend, uh, my mentor is going to share with you guys. And, and I don't use that statement, mentor, lightly, okay? When I say my mentor, Mark really is the guy who for the last really 30 years of my life that, that I call. That when I've got questions about Scripture, when I've got questions about a text, when I've got questions about ministry, he's the one I call. All right? One is because he is the probably the wisest, smartest man I've ever met. Uh, I, I like to say it this way: he's got more doctorate degrees than I have speeding tickets. And if you know me, you know that's a lot. Now, I almost got another kind of ticket for destroying a hotel in Portland, Oregon. Mark, you remember that one? Okay, okay, you're, you're gonna say statue of limitations. Um, we, we, um, a practical joke he pulled on me, uh, kind of backfired, but anyway, um, that, that happened. But, but Mark, um, you know, he's smart, um, he communicates, he's a teaching patch, uh, pastor at one of the largest churches in America. A phenomenal church in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and he is the one who wrote Quest 52. Uh, I know many of you in the room are reading Quest 52. Uh, we're going into week 11 on that. If you don't have a book, we have plenty available in the Connect Corner. Uh, We'd love to get you taken care of if you don't have a book, all right? Um, So so you're in for a treat today, and what Mark is going to do is he's going to kick off this series for us, and he's going to help us come to just maybe a better understanding, but definitely a deeper understanding of the cross of Christ, and uh, I know you're in for a treat. So will you do me a favor, and will you welcome my friend Mark Moore to the stage? We got in trouble. We, I got in trouble.
1: Josh got in trouble. So I, I don't know why you introduced it. on the
0: clock. You're okay. Yeah,
1: you didn't. You didn't say this to the other two audiences. You like these you're guys not on better. On the
0: clock. Oh yeah. Oh no, so, I do like
1: these. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I would take you. I would take you back to Phoenix with me. So here's what happened. Josh told me that he got freaked out by this horror movie where somebody, like, they went into, a, like, a shower, and it was all steamy, and you couldn't see anything, and then a ghost appeared or a murderer appeared behind someone. So I thought it'd be hilarious. He was, like, in this suite, this, like, beautiful hotel room. I snuck in there, and I turned on all the hot water because Josh was going to be back in, like, 15 minutes, and it would be all steamy, and it would freak him out. He didn't come back for like two hours, four hours, four hours. Wow. Do you realize that when you leave a room steamy like that, for that long, the whole fire alarm system goes out? We cleared the hotel.
0: Yes, we did. <laughs> and I got the blank.
1: And I snuck away. <laughs> I would love to take you guys back with me. I, I preached to this church in Phoenix, Arizona. A couple things in Phoenix that we don't have that you have. Uh, Trees are one. I live in a giant kitty litter box, and I love it. Uh, The other thing we don't have is this stupid, idiotic idea of daylight savings time. Yeah, we're one of two states that doesn't do that nonsense. So come to Phoenix and be in the audience. I would love to take you home. You're so responsive. Uh, Josh, he he really is... uh, overly complimentary here's here's the truth don't tell him this because it'll give him a big head but I have a little bit of a man crush on him because I was yeah I I was the smart kid in school in other words a nerd and he was like the cool kid at CIY so going back for 30 years I've listened to this guy preach and I would sit there and just look at him on stage and go yeah I can't do that you are blessed by by him as a pastor and so uh enough of that enough of that no, don't, don't, no, no, don't, don't give him a big head. I want to talk about the cross. And we, we all see the cross. We wear it as jewelry. We put it, like, polish it up, sand it down, and make furniture out of it. You, you realize how inappropriate that is? Now, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. But the cross was an instrument of torture and death. It's the central symbol of Christianity. We've taken a bloody beam of wood and made it our central symbol. Do you realize how awkward that is? If a Roman were to raise from the dead and come back here today and see a cross on on you, he would think you're like a goth from Seattle or something. Like, that's just weird. It would be kind of like if you had a little guillotine and you put it on a chain and wore it around your neck. It would be weird. So why is it not weird? That's what I want to talk about. Because for the first four centuries of the church, no Christian would put a cross on a building. As long as crucifixion was still an active form of punishment, no Christian would put a cross on witness wear, on a bumper sticker, on a Bible. It was too offensive when you could actually see it. It wasn't until it became outlawed that people began to put it on Well, shields. It wasn't until the Emperor Constantine who became a Christian that Christians were the underbelly of society, became the dominant in society. The losers became winners. And that's when the cross could be celebrated. And that is still a problem today. I want to talk about the cross in a historical way. And I want to open three doors onto the cross to help you see it from a first-century perspective. One door is going to be a Jewish perspective. If you were a Jewish person, how would you have heard Jesus talk about the cross? The second door is a Roman door. They saw the cross as not what happened to them, but what they did to foreigners. The third cross is the Christian door. And until you open that Christian door, it will make no sense that we celebrate the cross. So three doors, the first one is Jewish. You know that the most frequently cited saying of Jesus, the, the thing that the gospel writers repeated him saying more than any other saying is this, unless you take up a cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And so we hear in that, well, I've got to follow Jesus. I've got to take up my cross. And we interpret it in our culture as a burden to bear. The cross was not a burden to bear. It was a form of gruesome execution. To tell you how gruesome it is, the Romans never described crucifixion in all of their literature. It was not something you could talk about in polite company. The Greeks never described crucifixion. In fact, even the New Testament, all it says about Jesus, three words, they crucified him. That's all the description you get. Everything else we know is from reconstruction of historical sources. But the number one, the most detailed description of crucifixion in all human literature is actually Hebrew. And it's not in the New Testament. Because while crucifixion was practiced, nobody described it. It was too horrific. Where it is described is a thousand years before Christ. And 600 years before crucifixion was ever invented. A prophecy from Psalm 22. It gives the specifics. My hands and my feet, they have pierced. Bowls of Bashan surround me. That's his enemies. They gamble for my garments. You can see all my bones. My heart melts like wax. All of those descriptions are a 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified and 600 years before crucifixion was invented. More on Psalm 22 in a minute. But if you're hearing Jesus say to you, take up your cross and follow me, and you're Jewish, here's what you hear. We are losers, and Rome is going to win. And that's the last thing any Jew wanted to hear. You see, they were an oppressed people by the Romans. They have sent military men, centurions and guards and soldiers into my city. They came to my village. They forced us into labor. They've raped our women. These are the Romans. They would feel about the Romans about like Ukrainians feel right now about Russians. They're the ones destroying us, and you want me to take up a cross and willingly die for them? Do you see how offensive that is? And yet we wear it like a badge of honor. You're not wrong, but I want to tell you why you're right. And it doesn't come from the Jewish perspective. For the Jews, to take up a cross and follow Jesus is to say, I know that we are revolutionaries and we've already lost the battle. And the only way that that ever makes sense, is if you win by dying. And the only way that ever makes sense is if the one who died for you rose from the dead. It's a crazy, it's a ridiculous, crazy idea. And it's odd that that this would be the most recited saying of Jesus. But I'm just telling you right now. If you walk into here, maybe you're just checking us out or maybe you're online. Look, we get that, welcome you online. We know that most people online use it kind of like a front porch where you come on the porch and you peek in the windows to see if the people in the living room are weird. I, I can promise you we are. You'll belong. Come. But if you're, if you're just on the fence about Jesus, you just need to know he's not calling you to come and live. He's calling you to come and die. Because we believe, beyond belief, that he rose from the dead and it's through our dying that we actually have life. That's the Jewish door. The Roman door, when you open that door, you begin to see the anatomy of crucifixion. You're aware, probably, that the procurator of Judea at the time was Pilate, Pontius Pilate, which you may not know is That in the historical text about Pilate, he was a known anti Semite. In other words, he hated the Jews. And, And he was only there to advance his political career. And yet, even though he hated the Jews, when this one Jew was placed in front of him, Jesus Christ, he knew that Jesus was innocent. He did, in fact, his wife knew from a dream. She had a dream about Jesus last night and she comes running into the courthouse. I don't know if that was appropriate or not, but she goes, honey, don't have anything to do with Jesus. He's innocent. And Pilate tried to release Jesus. Not once, not twice, not three times, 10 different times. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Pilate tried to release Jesus. You might recall he he offered Barabbas as a substitute for Jesus. And then winds up that the first person Jesus died for was Barabbas, who is released because of him. Pilate's trying to let him go because he knows he's innocent. And nothing worked. At the end of the day, the Jews said to Pilate, if you don't give us what we want, we're going to report to the emperor that you are disloyal to Rome. They were blackmailing him, and it worked. Pilate's political career was on thin ice. The year is 33 A.D., And he crucified Jesus to save his petty political career that would only last, we now know, for three more years. He crucified the Lord of Glory for three years of politics. Uh, Don't be too critical of Pilate. Some of us have crucified him for much less. His final attempt to release Jesus was what we might call an appeal to pity. And he had Jesus flogged in an attempt to gain mercy. If I just beat him bad enough, maybe they'll say, that's enough. So he left him to his soldiers. And they took Jesus and treated him like an animal that they believed he was. The Romans hated the Jews. A flogging is not like you've seen in the movies where someone gets whipped, maybe tied to a tree or something, you whip him and you put lashes on him. No, that's not a flogging. The instrument of flogging is called a flagellum. It's a stick about 18 inches long, and you embed in the end of that stick leather strands. They called it a cat of nine tails. I don't know if there was exactly nine strands, but they, they had multiple strands. And in the leather strands at the end, you would embed something sharp. It could be bone, it could be glass, it could be metal. Their two favorite ones were lead balls and knuckle bones of sheep. Knuckle bones of sheep are very sharp, they're hard, and they break off in the wound when you lacerate someone's body. The way it worked was you would take a victim and you would tie their hands around a pillar, strip them naked, and you would take this flagellum and you had a soldier on the right and a soldier on the left. The soldier on the left of the victim would slap, you're not not cracking the flagellum, you're slapping the flagellum onto the flesh, And when it makes contact, you pull down from the right shoulder blade to the left hip. Using the full force of your torso, the one on the left would do the same, slapping it on the left and pulling down to the right hip. The result is that you get these hash marks across the back that begin at first just to give abrasions to your back. Well, not just your back, it was your shoulders, your, your back, your buttocks, your hamstrings, your calves. And not just the back, it would wrap around the front as well to your pectoral muscles, your abdomen, to your quads. And, and it would leave the victim completely bloodied. At first, the back and other parts would send moisture, fluid, into the subcutaneous tissue to pad the blow. But after a while, the skin begins to soften and loosen, and then there's cuts. And the cuts become abrasions that result in thick strands of flesh, ribbons hanging from your back. Six out of ten men died from flogging alone. Some died because of loss of blood. Others died because (laughs) there wasn't enough flesh to hold in your bowels. That's what Jesus went through before he ever got to the cross. If you want to know precisely what it looked like, there is a, an artifact called the Shroud of Turin. Now, I'm not saying that the Shroud was Jesus, although I have my suspicions. Here's what I know for certain, that the Shroud of Turin is from a crucifixion victim who has been flogged. And if you look at the Shroud of Turin, you're going to see it's about a 12 and a half foot sheet that was laid over the victim. And right in the middle here, you can actually see in the, in the middle, it, it went through a fire. I know it's not very clear, but I'll, I'll walk you through it. Here is where it was folded. You have the front of the face here, the back of the head here, and the entire body going down the length. It was just folded in the middle. If you zoom in on the face side of the shroud, you're going to notice that the victim has marks all over his body. So you can actually uh, go to the next slide, and we'll see the, the front side of the Shroud of Turin. Here is the victim. Right here are the quads. Up here is the abdomen. You can see the pectoral muscles and the, the head at the top. Everywhere there's white, there was blood. Now, obviously, the, the big white spots like right here, that's actually folds in the shroud, it was folded and went through a fire so the corners were actually burned off. But all of the white in the middle is where there was an injury from the flogging. And there are hundreds of them on the front of the body and on the back of the body. If you look at just the face in the shroud, you're going to notice, next slide, you, you have the crown of thorns here The eye sockets, the nose, the mouth, and then the pectoral muscles. Again, everywhere you see a dark spot, those are marks where a flagellum hit the muscle and went into the body. The reason these are so much darker is because that's where the crown of thorns were pushed. The Shroud of Turin gives you a, a perspective of what this flagellum would do to a human body. And once Jesus had been beaten, actually looking at the shroud, you can see that the right eye socket was broken. The nose was broken. This fulfills Isaiah 52, which says that he would be beaten beyond human recognition. At that point, he takes Jesus out to the crowd and says, what should I do with him? Hoping for mercy. What they said in return. Crucify him! For what? Because he prioritized children and widows? Is that why we're crucifying him? For what? Because he said such outrageous things as, love your enemies, take care of your neighbors? This makes no sense. It's the satanic possession of a crowd and it's not that far away from us. Because many of us have rejected him for less. Pilate has no choice but to give him over to be crucified. So with his body destroyed as it was, the soldiers mocking him, they, put a, they took an old scarlet or purple military cape and they put it on his shoulders And they bowed down to him, saying, oh, here's a king. You don't look like a king, but okay, we'll bow. You're the king. They mocked him in a mock coronation. They put a crown of thorns on him and beat it on his skull with a stick. And then they took that robe and they ripped it off of his raw flesh. Part of it had coagulated, so it's taking shrapnel with it. And they put a patibulum across his shoulder. That's the crossbeam of the cross. Typically, they would weigh anywhere from 75 to 125 pounds. And Jesus had to carry that through the narrow streets of Jerusalem on the Via Dolorosa. It's it's no wonder he fell down. That's a heavy beam of wood when you've been relentlessly beaten to the point of death. Simon and Cyrene had to come and carry the patibulum to a site of execution. They laid Jesus down on the stipes, which is the vertical beam of the cross, connected the patibulum to the stipes, And then they nailed him. We we image Jesus being nailed through the palm of the hand. That's not accurate. The reason I say that is, and, and we know this from some very ugly experiments after World War II, they would pin people up by hand, and the human hand can only bear about 80 pounds of weight. It would rip right through the hands. Now, you could nail the, if you take your, your, your thumb and push it in, right here is called the thrainar furrow. If you took a nail and put it at a 30-degree angle through the thranar furrow, it can bear the weight of a human body. But it's not likely that's how they crucified Jesus. More likely, they crucified Jesus behind the wrist. For the Romans, just like if you play soccer, the, the whole thing is the hand, from the elbow to the fingertips, that's your hand. And if you reach to your hand right behind the wrist and feel from the top of the wrist, the bottom of the wrist, there's an indentation there. You have two bones, the radius and the ulna. If you feel between there and pinch the pain you're feeling, pinch hard enough, it'll go up through your shoulder. The pain you're feeling is the median nerve. And if you sever that nerve, it is agony to your shoulder blades. And that's how they pin Jesus to a cross. And then with the feet of Jesus, we we picture him in medieval art as a a nail, like 12-inch nail going through both feet, which is virtually impossible. You imagine the difficulty of nailing two feet with one nail, two oblong objects. More likely, they nailed each foot independently, because this we know, that the nails they used were about four and a half to five inches long. Well, how do we know that? Well, because we found one. If you look at this picture, this is a calcaneum, that is your heel bone, with a nail going right through it. And the, the, let's, show this, uh, let's show the nail going through the calcaneum. Next slide. This is the top, right above my head is the top of the nail. This is the heel bone of a crucifixion victim. And notice how the end of the nail is curved in. The reason for that is this crucifixion victim was nailed to an olive wood cross. Olive is a very dense wood, and the nail hit a knot and curved in. So when the executioners tried to pull it back out, they couldn't get the nail out. We actually still have fragments of the olive wood in the tip of the nail. And oddly, we know who this man was. Because the box his bones were buried in bore his name. His name was John. Yohanan in Hebrew. If this is the model of how Jesus was crucified, then Jesus was not crucified with both feet on top of one another. Both feet were nailed independently. Either on the side of the cross, pulling his legs back, or in the front of the cross and twisting his torso, which has another advantage because even while I'm standing here like this, My right shoulder blade is cramping up. And if I stayed like this for a couple minutes, I would start convulsing. And that's what they wanted for the victims of crucifixion. It was not a quick death. In fact, the average crucifixion victim lived for three days. The longest we know of was nine days. After three days, the birds of the air begin to... Land on the patibulum and are attracted to the moisture of the victim's eyes. Dogs are attracted to the blood that's trickling down their feet and they begin to consume the person even while they're alive. It is a horrible death. That's why Romans didn't talk about it. Why did Jesus die? Some people think, well, he bled to death. No, no nails in your feet and in your hands they don't you don't lose enough blood to to bleed out others will say well he he suffocated to death that's not that's not true I know it's not true because the last thing Jesus said on the cross father into your hands I give my spirit the Bible says he shouted that you can't shout while you're asphyxiating the reason we think, some people think he was asphyxiating, is because of a French physician named Pierre Barbet, that after World War II he noticed that soldiers who had been captured by the enemy and hung by their hands, they suffocated. Which makes sense because to get a breath, if your hands are above your head, you have to pull up, breathe, and then let down. You can only do that for so long before you give out. But another physician named Frank Zugaby came along in the early 60s and said, now wait a second, the crucifixion victims, their arms would be out, so what does that do to your respiration? So he got (laughs) this weird experiment, he got some volunteers and they tied them to a cross in his laboratory and he measured the breathing. While it was labored, it doesn't kill you. So, I ask again, why did Jesus die? We actually know. When the soldiers came from Pilate, some people said, well, he's dead already. It's only been six hours. He's dead already. Pilate sent a soldier to ensure that he was dead. And he took a lance and he put it underneath the, I think it was probably on the right side, up into the pericardial region. There's a sac around your heart called the pericardium, and it has fluid in it to protect your heart. If Jesus had just died from some other cause, only water would come out. Because once you're dead, your heart stops pumping blood. There would not be a noticeable amount of blood. But the Bible records in John 19 that blood and water flowed out, indicating that Jesus died, we know this, of a broken heart. But that's how he died. That's not why he died. Why he died, we have to open the third door, the Christian door. I want to take you back to Psalm 22. You remember that incredible detailed prophecy of the crucifixion? Here's how it begins. And Jesus quoted verse 1 on the cross to point you back to the cross, to point you back to the prophecy so that you would know this is not an accident. God had this planned all along. Here's the verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook Jesus? No. God forsook sin on the cross. And I don't know the spiritual physics of how Jesus became my sin. But this I know, and I know that I know, that somehow Jesus took my sin, He took your sin, in His body on the cross so that we could take on His righteousness. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Again, I don't know how that works, but I know it works. And I know that many of you come in here with a burden of shame and guilt. Maybe it was something you did in your past, or maybe it was something that someone else did to you, but you carry that like a weight. The cross of Christ releases you from that burden of guilt and shame you are not what you've done you are the image of Christ and I know that when you look at Jesus you don't see sin on the cross because you don't see with God's eyes when God saw Jesus it was no longer Jesus on the cross it was your sin and my that's what God saw And if you can believe that, then you can believe that when God looks at you, He doesn't see your past. He sees the blood of Christ and only the blood of Christ. And if you can receive that, you can be free from the guilt and shame that you carry around with you like a weight that's dragging you down. Be free. Receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. In the next few minutes, we're literally going to do that. On either side, follow the candles. We call it communion. Little piece of bread. Little cup of juice. That represent the body and blood of Jesus. It's it's crazy. That we would celebrate a cross. Until you see the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to win this world by dying for it. Jesus' cross saves individuals from their sins but when the church bears the cross of Christ we save society from hers we are the hope of the world because we believe in the cross of Christ so over the next few minutes while we sing these songs feel free to move towards the front and receive the crucified body and blood of Jesus and if you're here today and maybe something has triggered in you a desire to give your life to Christ. Or maybe you need prayer for the release of guilt and shame. Follow the sign that says connect and you just go to the connect corner and there'll be pastors to pray with you over there. But for right now, we want to we want to stand together and sing these songs. If I were to summarize the whole message in one statement, it would be this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son That whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about how to give to God through the rock, you can find that information on our app or on our website. Another way that you can give to us is simply by subscribing to this podcast, rating it, telling your friends about it. All those things are super helpful. We hope you have a great week.